0: This episode of the Wine and Podcast is presented by Solorio Family Wines, producing handcrafted wines from Napa. Solorio Family Wines was born from a passion and a dream of a hardworking vineyard worker. They honor the people that perform the essential duties and undergo hard work out in the vineyards to provide for their families. Winemaker and owner Mario Solorio grew up in a small town of Michoacán, Mexico, in a very modest family along with his parents, Samuel and Graciela, and 12 siblings. Samuel taught Mario and his siblings how to take care of the land as they had to source much of their food. Knowing their parents didn't have enough to purchase the bare necessities for them, Mario decided to start a new journey and move to the U.S. With little knowledge of English and an uncle who lived in California, he moved at the age of 16. In 2000, he moved to Napa and was hired as a gardener for a private residence. Soon after, he was offered a job in the vineyards during the hardest time of the year, harvest time. In 2005, he became a vineyard lead and was given the opportunity to work in the wine cellars as well, where his passion for winemaking blossomed, and by 2019, he was promoted to assistant winemaker. His ultimate dream of his own wine came up true with his first vintage, a 2013 red blend called 13 Hermanos, an homage to his brothers please make sure to check out all of their wines on SolorioFamilyWines.com and follow them on Instagram at SolorioFamilyWines. Hola, hola mi gente. I'm Jessica Yañez and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and may Wednesday. Today I'm so excited. This is kind of like my birthday present because I asked her to come on for like my day after birthday episode and I'm so happy to share that I have
1: Liz Hernandez with me. How are you, Liz? I'm good, Jessica. Thank you for inviting me. You're well, so thank you I... for saying yes. <laughs> and you're easy to say yes to.
0: You know it's so crazy. I was thinking about when I had reached out to you we've known each actually kind of known each other for right before the pandemic. Yeah, and that was right before I released the podcast. In fact, I don't know if you remember, but I had just gotten my logos. And I was like, what do you think of these logos? Which one do you think is best? I was trying to get like people's feedback and I'd just gotten them. And it was right before your pull event. And you're like, oh, I like this one. And that's what most everybody had said.
1: So that's the logo we went with. That's so crazy. I was just looking at your logo today thinking this is a great logo. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really done well and it's straight to the point and it gets what it is across. So you did good. Thank Well,
0: that's all my friend, Pam from Cafe con Pam podcast. She oh, yeah. is the <laughs> one who did it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So it's so crazy. And we had your word of full event. I had actually met you one time before that. I went by myself to one of your word of full events in LA with Becky G. Ah, okay. And you had that photographer that has the trailer. Yeah. And I was like the very first one. Yeah.
1: I remember that actually.
0: Do I, you really? Yes. Yes. Because I was by myself. I think I was probably the only person, but like, not have a little crew with them. So I was like, well, let me just get in line so I can take my picture and leave.
1: <laughs> that was a great event. Yeah, it was amazing.
0: It was. And now she has a, all these other things and you guys have both done so many amazing things. But before we get into all that, and before we get into the chisme, we have to get into the wine. because. I cannot be the wine enthusiast and not have wine. Exactly. <laughs> so today I'm su- We're we're drinking Solorio Family Wines 2014 Cabernet Sauvignon. I'm super excited. So Mario Solorio has been so gracious to send wine, and on the bottle, I don't know it says cosecha, and that actually means because I had to look up. I'm like, what does that mean? I have no idea. And it actually means that all the grapes came from this from the same year. So it's not combining different Cabernet grapes from different years, like sometimes they do for different blends. They all came from the same year. So I haven't tried it yet. I'm super excited. Well, cheers. Salute. Ooh, I like your wine glasses. Thank you. Was that your cheers?
1: That's my cheers. Mm, that's really good. Ooh.
0: Mm, You know, it tastes like blackberry to me. Like that's the first thing I taste. I was going to
1: say, I love when the fruits of a wine really stand out. I don't like when it's too dry and that's perfect.
0: Oh my gosh. That's so good. Well, I can't wait. After this, we have our Latina Equal Payday event. So I'm going to be drinking beer after this. I'm going to be like, (laughs) woohoo.
1: Here comes Jessica.
0: As if I need any more encouragement. (laughs) So let me just read Liz's bio really quick. She sent me the short one and let me I know it's the short one because I know she's done so many things. Liz is a Mexican-American Emmy-nominated television personality and journalist. As a former radio host and entertainment reporter for Access Hollywood, E! News, and MTV, her career is built on words, but no chapter is more meaningful than the one she is currently living with, Wordiful. A video and live event series that focuses on the importance of how we communicate with others and ourselves through Wordiful. Liz has created a new form of storytelling that she hopes will encourage and connect us to to the power of words. Liz believes we can create new realities for ourselves by changing our internal and external dialogue, ones that support more meaningful relationship and lives. I love that because you do that. Like every week, everything you say is very intentional. You can tell. There's always a lot of thought behind what you say.
1: I try to, I mean, I'm living it, I'm breathing it. It's it's being mindful of how can I use my life as a lesson? What am I going through this week that I, because I know I'm not alone. <laughs> you know, I, that's the one thing I take the most peace in is there's only a spectrum of emotions and Not that I ever hope anyone's going through a dark time, but it's just that understanding that we all hit dark times. We all hit happy times. We all hit grieving. We all hit just, you name the emotion, someone else within your radius is going through it as well. And so when I create content for Wordiful, those are the things that I think about.
0: Yeah. Well, you're a Southern California girl. Yes, You're originally from Riverside. Which <laughs> I spent a lot of time in my youth in Riverside because my theas and theos lived. There. You know, I had some tias and theos that lived there. They're now in like Fontana. They're like way out there. But when you look back at growing up, what in that area and during that time, what are the things that you remember most fondly?
1: Oh, gosh, that's a big question. There's so many. I, you know, I'm grateful to say I have so many good memories growing up. I remember my grandpa used to take us to thrifties to get like. 10 cent ice cream. Oh, I remember thrifty ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> 25 cents. <laughs> yeah. There was a place in Riverside called Ferrell's where we would celebrate birthdays. They have that in and, Escondido too. Yeah. The clowns would come running in with a stretcher a journey, that had a of ice cream. <laughs> I mean, that was like a staple in our family. We would get this back room because we had, a, you know, my family's huge and there would probably be like 30 of us in one room. Uh, and that was always so much fun growing up. And then around fourth grade, I felt really fortunate because I lived down the street from my best friend. We lived within walking distance of each other. So I just have so many great, you know, memories of Riverside, my high school, and, you know, people that I went to school with in elementary and high school. I'm still friends with. Yeah, I have nothing but beautiful memories thanks to my parents, my siblings, and my friends. You know, I just, It's like when I drive through there, I always pass my grandparents' house. I pass my parents old I haven't been past my parents' old house in a while just because it's, you know, having lost my mom, it's, it's like, I'm like almost spooked to drive past. not spooked. Like I'm afraid I'll get very emotional. Yeah. Spooked is the wrong word. That's not it at all. It's more of spooked at myself at how emotional I might get. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, But I love, I love going past my old high school. Um, I used to keep in touch with one of my high school teachers for a very long time. Really beautiful memories, you know, playing in the yard with my cousins at my grandparents' house, playing whose car is that? You know, that's your car, that's my car. You know, you <laughs> sit on sit on the front stair, and we used to walk to Seven Eleven, and
0: you know, it sounds candy. so similar to like how I grew yeah, up. I,
1: I mean, it I had a pretty <laughs> yeah, just you know, it was great. I always around family. You know, when I was in high school, it was the high school game, high school football games or basketball games.
0: Um, We used to do this. I don't even know why we did this. I don't know who came up with this or why we did this, but we would turn a bicycle upside down and like turn the spokes as if we were making ice cream or something. Of course, (laughs) it it was the factory. So, yeah. (laughs) I I think about it now. I'm like, I don't know what that was supposed to be,
1: but we had fun. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we would take old moving boxes and, you know, we would get the marker and make little windows and have my uncle cut them out with a razor blade. And we would make a drive through like that was a drive through window and you'd roll up on your like skateboard or your bike. And we would take <laughs> somebody's <laughs> orders. Usually like when the refrigerator box was being emptied out. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Creative. That's very hilarious. imaginative. That's what I'm so grateful for is the fact that the internet didn't exist then. And you had to use your imagination. You had to get creative. Yeah. I'm so grateful for that.
0: Me too. It's one of those times where you had, like, your parents were constantly encouraged. You go outside, be outside. Well, you didn't need much encouragement because what else are you going to do inside? You know, we had Nintendo and we had Atari, but it was being a girl. I didn't spend a lot of time. Plus I was involved in sports and stuff. So we were outside constantly. And I think that's good.
1: Yeah. I lived in San Bernardino. We'd be outside catching frogs.
0: (laughs) Okay. I have cousins that live in Paris and we would be on the haystacks, like fighting each other.
1: (laughs) There it is. Good
0: times. That's how I learned how to fight. Get on the haystacks, fight your cousins. Yeah. They learn how to protect yourself. You learn how to fight fast. Yes, totally. (laughs) And well, I don't know. Was it the same for you as it was for me? Like when you have a big family and my family was, if you're not loud, you're not heard basically.
1: Yes and no. I mean, I grew up in a family full of women. There was five of us in one household. And I'm really thankful to say we were pretty compassionate with each other when it came to, you know, it it took a lot for someone to be upset or sad or hurt. So, and again, I was pretty young. I have a big age difference between me and my eldest sister, um, between the eldest and the youngest. So, Yeah, no, I don't think it was that. I just, maybe I was just loud all the time. I don't know. (laughs) My dad was pretty loud. So I think, and my mom was more the quieter one. I mean, she was quiet, but she showed My mom spoke through like her food and music and just other creative ways where my dad was more like the jokester and always talking and telling jokes. And then I don't think within, you know, within us four girls, us four sisters, we ever had an issue of who has the floor.
0: So I I didn't, I don't think we had it in our immediate family, but when we got with our extended family, like my cousins and my tias and tios, we for sure had it. Yeah. You had to be loud to be heard.
1: Yeah. I don't really remember. I think we were all kind of the same DNA where we just wanted our independence because our houses were full of people. And so we were just like, they had to come find us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So growing up, you know, obviously having all of these things, did you have an idea because you get into radio and I want to ask you about that in a second, but what were like, what were the things that you thought you were going to be growing up? And did that align with what your parents' vision was for you when you were growing up?
1: I always say, again, I don't know if you call it fate, if you call it destiny, or if it's just a part of focusing in on what I was really interested, but I grew up just a fanatic about radio. I used to be in my room for hours. And I think a lot of kids did, you know, you, you, well, I don't know if a lot of kids did, but I did. I would be in my room for hours, listening to the countdowns, calling in anytime they said to call in my best friend and I, we, I mean, we were just, we loved, loved, loved to listen to the radio. And when I was in about I think I was in seventh grade. They had the dual cassette tapes where you could... Yeah. So, you know, I know <laughs> And I grew up in, you know, Riverside. So we picked up kiss FM and in, L- in Los Angeles. And there was uh, a disc jockey by the name of Hollywood Hamilton. And he would do the night show and he would do interviews. And one night he was interviewing new kids on the block. And I loved new kids on the block and I recorded his interview. And then I put another tape in and I don't even know Jessica where I got this microphone. It just <laughs> magically appeared in like our box of junk we had and I plugged it in and I, dubbed over his voice so that it sounded like I was interviewing them and I just did it for laughs and I took I made copies of the I made like three copies of the tape and I took it to school and I gave it out to my friends and it's just so crazy that that ended up becoming my career path because it was definitely wasn't what was intended I can't even say that I just never thought that that was going to be A career that seemed like a dream job when you're a kid, you know, like, oh, be on the air. Like, I remember calling in, I think I was in sixth grade, and I called into Power 106 when Jay Thomas was there. And I was caller, whatever, 18 that they were looking for. And he was like, he heard my voice. He's like, how old are you? And I was like, I was like, 10. And he's like, sweetheart, you have to be 18. But when he picked up, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And they use that, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. He recorded it and would play it all the time on the radio. So my first debut on Power 106 was when I was like 10 years old. And it just just kind of started happening like that. So, you know, my love for radio, it just... I don't know, it's just that energy it drew me to it and I switched majors when I was ready to when I was getting ready to graduate my senior year in college and I asked my parents like what do you think about me staying an extra year and double majoring in communication because I think this radio internship might go somewhere I, you know I really love it and thank god I had parents who didn't hold me to these standards of no you need to be this or that or we're only going to be proud of you if you you know do a certain type of job. They were just like, you've got to do what makes you happy because you're going to do this for the rest of your life. And so they gave me the freedom and the just the positive support that I needed to make my own choice. So for that, I'll always be extremely grateful.
0: I mean, you kind of already leading into my next question in regards to like, what was that path? And when did you figure out like, you know what, I think this could be something. (laughs)
1: Like, oh my gosh, maybe this is it. So when I was in college, I was taking my required uh, classes and I was a communication minor, psychology major. I thought I wanted to be a child psychologist, which ironically enough has worked out really well with Wordiful because Wordiful very much is in the arena of psychology and human behavior. And I was always fascinated uh, with that. So it was one of those classes for communications. And my teacher said, okay, everyone's got to do an internship to graduate. And I got into my car and it was something out of a movie. I turned on the radio and this commercial came on and was like, do you need an internship to graduate? Call now. So I called and I got an interview and then I got the internship. And The producer came up to me and he says, well, you're a chatty Kathy. Why would you like to come and answer our phones? He's like, I just like your energy. And I think you would be a good fit for answering our phones on the morning show. And, you know, usually as an intern, what I had been doing was going to like night concerts and putting up posters and, you know, we'd have to go like give free gas and put bumper stickers on cars. And I thought, oh, this is great because I'm a morning person. I could get my school credits out of the way in the morning. Plus, it was exciting to be part of the morning show, you know. And what was wild was, like I said, I grew up loving radio. So the guy who was doing mornings was Nasty Man from Kiss FM. He was now doing mornings at San Diego's 933. So I like am the biggest goof fan of like radio DJs. You know, I'm like, (laughs) oh my God, I get to meet Nasty Man. And it was the biggest blessing because he saw potential in me. And he really was the person that mentored me to be like, I think you should take this seriously. I think you have potential. And he would always give me a shot. He would always ask me, so what are you college kids watching? Or what do you college kids do on the weekends? Or just always trying to pull uh, the most he could out of me. And then they gave me like a 60 second Hollywood minute and I would, it was pre-produced with my producer. And um they again saw the potential and oh my God, Jessica, one time the news girl called in sick and they were like, Hey Liz, this is it. This is your (laughs) big chance. And I, I mean, God, I hope they burn those tapes because I'm sure it is so. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to ask Gina if she can find them. Oh my God. I hope not. (laughs) Please don't. But it was really that adrenaline rush of, okay, this is amazing. I want to do this. And so now I'm getting ready to graduate. And my boss said, we're going to send you to Salinas, get the green out of you and bring you back to San Diego. And before she had an opportunity to do that, Power 106 a Six in LA called and I auditioned there. The rest is history.
0: Wow. So if people don't know, you actually went to college in San Diego. So you have a connection here.
1: Yeah, it's my you're my stomping grounds, girl. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> There's no place. There was, I was watching this like, TikTok of somebody saying they're using this different audio and they're using the different cities in California. And it was like, San Diego was like, we're all about the team. And LA is like, but they come to see me. Fresno, I don't even remember what they said about Fresno (laughs) and San Francisco. But I I was like, you know what? People come to see LA, but they come to San Diego and they never want to
1: leave for years I've said, that's where I plan to retire.
0: I mean, why would you want anywhere else? I lived in Texas for 15 years and I was like, I'm moving back home. San Diego's home and I'm moving back there. So yeah, I love San Diego. that is so cool. So how did you, because did you have those doubts? Cause power 106, especially in that time being with big boy, like people are very protective of their radio personalities. I feel like, like there's this, when you're local and then you have somebody new, everybody's very kind of like, Hmm, who is this new person? Did you have like doubts and fears or how did you feel walking into such a big radio show in the morning, being with big boy in the morning?
1: You know, the good thing was I knew about big boy, but I didn't listen to him. Like I did, I didn't have a preset idea of what it was gonna be like. So that took out a little bit of the intimidation because the years that he was doing nights and mornings, I was away at school. Once I had arrived, I was just open to, I was just, I was so happy just to be home because my mom used to have to get, bless her heart. She would get in the car and drive 30 minutes just to pick up, she would drive to Escondido to pick up the signal of San Diego's 933, just oh my the 60 second segment. That's who my mom was. So to be now in my own backyard where my friends, my family, my acquaintances could hear that, you know, I was doing what I loved was a pretty awesome, surreal feeling. And I just remember it was kind of interesting, my introduction, because they had pitted me against Mia St. John for the job. And so right away, it became this this rivalry of like choosing sides. Oh my god. I felt really grateful because LA like had my back. I was the underdog.
0: <laughs> yeah. Plus, I mean <laughs> Mia St. John, especially at that time, was known. She was a boxer, former, you know, I don't know if she was married to Christophe St. John, former young and the restless actor.
1: My pop culture I didn't, is very, I didn't know that much about her to be, to be completely honest. I just knew she was a boxer and I knew that this is who they were pitting me up against. And it became just like this ongoing bit. And it was actually, it actually worked out pretty great because again, it was like having people had to decide if they liked me right away it couldn't just be like i don't know it was one of those okay we're team liz or we're team mia you know yeah. so it, luckily it worked out where uh i think a lot of people probably saw like a lot of the women probably saw themselves in me uh, or there was some relatability of just being that underdog <laughs> so it all worked out
0: plus being a hometown girl i mean I was a you know. girl.
1: yeah so
0: what was the perception or how do you feel not just not only being a woman, but being a Latina on a radio show in the morning. Did you ever feel you were having to live up to a particular character sometimes of just because you're Latina and you're on you know in this public forum?
1: Absolutely. I remember my first couple weeks there, I got pulled into my boss's office. And they asked me, which is so offensive, if I could sound more Latina.
0: What is more Latina?
1: I was pretty young in the sense, like I was fresh out of college and I was, I had to sit with it for a while. And I was asking the same question, like, what, like, what does that mean?
0: The first thing that pops into my head is like, what did they want you, especially like they
1: want you to be like Rosie Perez? I mean, that was like, well, that's when I started to get upset because it meant that you know, the way he described it was you sound too valley. So it's like, oh, I'm not allowed to sound educated like you because you sound valley. <laughs> so you want me to sound like a stereo. You want me you want to fit a, a stereotype. And I just said, this is who I am. My pass through the door is the color of my skin. Uh, and if, if that doesn't work, then I don't I don't know what to tell you. So, yeah, there's certain boxes that people try to put you in. And of course we all sound different. We all look different. We all have different backgrounds, but the main thing is the heart and soul and the culture. You know, that's what you're representing. And it's extremely offensive when someone tells you, we need you to sound more Latin. Cause I would, I would have loved, I wish in hindsight, I would have been like, can you describe that for me? Right. <laughs> me an example. Well, especially when you're young, you're just like, Yeah, I I didn't, I could, and again, if you've never had someone tell you that it's pretty bizarre. Yeah. It's a pretty bizarre request.
0: (laughs) Right. That would be, I don't think everybody I've had sometimes like instances where people have said like, why is my Spanish not better? But I recently had a solo episode where I talk about how my parents used to get in trouble for speaking Spanish at school. So they made sure we were English first
1: and Spanish fell on the wayside. That's a lot of us first generation. And I think it's really important that we avoid shaming first generation for not, you know, it's beautiful. If you can speak the language, it's beautiful. And I know we, you know, at least for me, I'm conversational. I'm not fluent, but I do my damnedest (laughs) to make sure that I honor uh, my culture. You know, growing up, I wasn't allowed to speak English to my grandparents, but my parents wanted to make sure that we could defend ourselves in this country because they grew, They didn't grow up here. They, they're wanting the best for us and they're trying to make sure that those opportunities and doors open. And, you know, if you grew up back in the day, it was just a completely different world. And so we have to also honor that in our generation and make sure we're not looking down at each other because of, I'm sorry, like we were born in America.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it is what it is. So during that time you were in radio, you actually started working on MTV as well, right? Like simultaneously?
1: Yeah, I started doing television. Um, I did CTV, which was like a little video countdown show, which was great because it gave me Really good experience for when MTV would call. I also did the California Lottery Show, which gave me my first experience with using a teleprompter, which, again, set me up for my CTV and the Lottery Show both set me up for my audition with MTV. And then MTV happened. And then I was at MTV until about 2009. And then right after that, it was when I started thinking, okay, I'm ready to leave radio. And so I started working for E! News, I think 2011.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more Wine and cheese. Chisme. Did you know that you can experience many of the wines I taste here on the Wine and Cheese Chisme podcast? I'm sure you're aware of how important it is to me to highlight wine brands that are owned by those in the Latine community. That is why I created a directory. That's why we host a virtual wine tasting each spring and each fall featuring Latine-owned wine brands based in the U.S. Whether you choose to partake in the tasting or just want to learn something about these vintners, if you enjoy wine, you will love these virtual events. Please visit the slash events for more information. Let's support our community and help these small fitners. When you're like, okay, I think I'm done with radio. Was it weird to just fully commit to TV?
1: It wasn't at the time. I I was, I mean, when you do radio for 10 and a half years at the same station, I just felt I was ready. I felt I had outgrown my position, even though I loved it. And I loved working with big boy. I loved the neighborhood, but I just 10 and a half years is a long time to do the same thing every single day. And so by the time the opportunity came to do more television, I was ready. I was excited. And then it wasn't until maybe a year or two later, it was a year later, actually, that I was like, wow, I miss radio because radio is always going to be my first love. It is. I just, you know, it's obviously changed from when I was on air, but those memories of it, it will always be my first, my first Love for sure. So I had missed it and an opportunity became available for me to come back to morning radio. And unfortunately, I just couldn't balance. I did it for about a year and I just couldn't balance working in television, doing radio, and then also caring for my was right when my mom got sick. So I just couldn't, I couldn't do it all. But what I learned in going back to radio was how much more of an open book I wanted to be. Because I I had tended it when I was at power. You know, thank God we were more based on telling stories and being funny and, you know, big boys banter was so amazing that I shared, but I was also very reserved. And I just thought, you know, if I ever go back to radio, I'm going to share more of my life because when people would come up to me, especially at Dodger games, I don't know, Dodger games were always the place where those are my people. And i you know, you're, you're walking to your seats and there was always someone that would come up to me and say like, it was never like, oh, I remember when you guys inter- interviewed Eminem or J-Lo or Kobe Bryant. It was always, I remember the time big boy made you cry on the air and you were going through a breakup and it was so sad. <laughs> came back to me so much. So I just thought, wow, you know, that's that human connection. We need to, we need to know that we're not alone on these journeys on our journey. And so I committed to that when I got back to radio, I shared every, I shared my entire life and I'm so grateful I did because I got to do that for a year and then, yeah. And then I retired.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So when you're doing that, how do you protect yourself? Because You don't talk about your personal, I mean, you talk about like yourself, but you don't talk about like dating a lot, anybody you're involved with a lot. How do you protect that being such a public person?
1: There is a healthy balance. So I think that's the other thing I learned in the process. So when I went back to radio, I was just getting into a new relationship and we had given him like a, like a, like a code nickname that everybody called him, which was really like in hindsight, it was really funny. And I shared a lot of that relationship. I shared it on the radio. I shared it on social media. And then as you know, relationships sometimes come undone. And after four years of sharing that relationship, I realized, oh my God, maybe I've given too much because now you kind of feel this pressure to explain, which you don't have to, people have to understand. Sometimes things just don't work out. Um, And it just made me want to be more protective of, just that that part, that personal part of my life. But also, I'm protective of, uh, you know, I don't share my family. I sh- once in a while I'll share my dad, and of course, I share my mom because to me that's an important journey, being an advocate for Alzheimer's. But had my mom, if my mom never got sick, I don't think I would have ever really shared too much of my parents because. That that's for me, and in, in social media, everyone has an opinion. Everyone wants a voice. Everyone, or you know, wants their voice to be heard. And I just think some things are are just for you. Oh my gosh, sorry if abondega is making so much. He wants them to make oh, sure yeah. that I mention him too. Oh yes. Um, so there's those aspects. You know, I'll share my dog. Um, I'll share you know other parts of my life. But the thing is, is you can control how much you put out, but you can't reel it back in once it's out there. And so it's just like, you know, when people Google your name, you just want to make sure it's your work and not your, not your personal life. Like I want to be known for, for the work that I'm doing. And I think I, I think I get pretty vulnerable and wordful episodes and I'm working on a book now. And I, you know, I don't think it's always important to say, well, it was this person and this is what we did. I think it's more about, the lessons that you learned behind that relationship or behind whether it's, you know, relationship with your significant other, your father, your mother, your sister, your friends, that's what it's really about. And of course, people have a natural curiosity. They want more, like give me more, but that's the beauty of, of it, of it having its balance, because if it gets too detailed, then you were missing the point. The point is for you to relate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've moved from Access Hollywood to E. You've even worked with Oprah. (laughs) Woman is making moves, okay? But at what point did you decide? Because you were at, I remember when Kat Sadler left E. And then you were kind of filling in for a little bit. And then all of a sudden you had left E. What was the decision that made you say, you know what? It's time for me to move on. Because I was, to be perfectly honest, so so excited to see you in particular, see a Latina, but in particular, see you like in that position, because I don't see very many Latinos on E very often at all. So to see you, I was super excited. And then it was only like a few months. And then I'm like, she left. What was that decision?
1: Like, what was behind well, that decision? I had been at Access Hollywood for five years. And in those five years, I was working on Wordiful because again, there was so many factors that went into, or so many things that were happening in my life at the time. Right when I was hired at Access, that's when my mom was diagnosed. I realized, you know, I had walked away from radio the second time and the whole reason I went back to radio was because I missed having that community, I missed storytelling, I missed being able to share the ups and downs of life and television doesn't really give you that. So Wordful was created as a little side passion project, but getting to the point uh, the point of what you're saying, I felt in the 5 years I was on television for NBC I was really grateful that other women, especially Latina women, could watch the show and say, Okay, I belong there too. I see someone who looks like me. Because growing up, I never saw anyone on Entertainment Tonight or Access Hollywood that looked like me. I mean, the, there were these amazing women like the Nancy Odells who paved the way for women like me, but there was never a woman of color or especially a, a Latina that I could say, Oh, Okay, I deserve to be there too. And I feel that my time there hopefully uh made other women feel like I belong on that stage. So at the end of those five years, I just felt like it had ran its course. How many more entertainment stories could I tell? And I didn't want to retire there at 50 and and just say, okay, cool. I have these. I think if you stay there long enough, hopefully you'll you'll acquire some of the accolades, you know, whether that's an Emmy. I'm grateful I was Emmy nominated while I was there. That's still blows my mind. I wanted to to do work that I felt would make an impact on my community. And that was meaningful to me that it brought me alive and it made me feel like I was contributing in some way to something bigger.
0: So I want to kind of touch back to a couple of things that you said. We were talking about sharing your personal life and you talked about your mom being diagnosed, she getting sick. She was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when you said you started at Access Hollywood. What was the reaction to that diagnosis and how did your family work through that? Because I know you've talked a lot about your your grief since everything, but how was that reaction? Like how do you even start that process when you get that type of diagnosis within a family?
1: I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's uh, you never expect it, you never see it coming. It was really hard. It it yeah, it, it was just super tough and it's heartbreaking because my mom was and is my, my best friend. So it just felt like a part of me was dying and uh, you go into fight or flight. You're like, okay, what can I do to protect this person? What can I do to help this person? What can I do to, make sure that her needs are being met. And, you know, I think it's just difficult for a family because everyone thinks that they know what the best thing is. And you're trying to, you know, all come together, especially when you have a big family. But my number one thing was my mom was a very private person, very private. And I wanted to honor that. And at the same time, I didn't want another daughter to have to go through the same heartbreak I was going through. And I'll never forget, Maria Shriver had reached out to me and she said, you need to turn your pain into purpose. And that's when I decided to become an advocate for Alzheimer's and really understand that I wasn't betraying my mother by speaking publicly about what was going on with her, but I was really honoring her. And I was trying to honor my community by saying, okay, we need to wake up and we need to pay attention to what these warning signs are, because I could sit here and and keep it hush hush and quiet. And we don't talk about what mom's going through, or I could actually help a generation understand that this is affecting, especially the Latino community more than anybody else.
0: So what are some of those warning signs that people cuz i think a lot of times like my mom forgets stuff and she's like oh i'm having you know i think and people have used like oh, i'm having an alzheimer's moment and whatever
1: yeah
0: um but what there i mean obviously being forgetful is very very different than this disease than what this disease does to somebody's brain what are some of the warning signs that you've been trying to let people know hey this isn't just a forgetful moment or this isn't just a series like Pay attention.
1: Yeah. First, I want to direct everyone if you have questions about your parents, your grandparents, go to alz.org. Uh, they have the 10 warning signs on there. But things that I noticed personally with my mother that, I, you know, again, you just chalk it up to mom's having a bad day or mom's just being a mom. And that was anything from retelling the same story over again to forgetting her words. She would be telling stories and then she would pause. And it was like the words had just escaped her. Misplacing her keys, they become accusatory. You know, they'll, if they lose their keys, they'll say, you hid my keys, you hid my jewelry. Your parent can, or grandparent can become very susceptible to people calling and wanting money. You know, like it's just so crazy because it's like, you think like, oh, I don't know about that one. Yeah, it happens. (laughs) Again, I would highly recommend going over to ALZ.org. It has the the 10 warning signs. And I think it's really important to read them thoroughly. But those were the big ones for my mom was just the forgetfulness, mood swings as well. They stop being themselves because again, the brain's equilibrium is going through, the brain is just going through changes and it affects them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My mom is going through her second fight with breast cancer.
1: Sorry.
0: And um, I had to ask her permission to like be able to share it because I saw my sister say something and I was I didn't want to say anything. And then I was like, you know, mom, do you mind if I share it? And she's like, no, no, not at all. I wasn't here in California the first time she went through it. I was living in Texas. So it's almost like it's the first time. So. Although I don't relate in the same way, I just relate. And when you see somebody, especially like your immediate family, like your mom or your dad or your grandparents go through something that you can't do anything for, like you can't like, all we can
1: do is be there for them and support them and love them. That's the most important is, is being there to to support. Cause if you you think about, you put yourself in, in, in their position and you think what would bring me the most comfort? And it's a feeling of knowing we're loved and supported. I didn't know I was going to cry. Cry. I I encourage crying. It's a form of healing and our grief needs to be witnessed. And I'm here for it, Jessica. I've (laughs) I've been on the path.
0: Who thinks Liz. But I have a bed later. I can't be like messing up my makeup.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, ooh. You you just look glowy, girl. You just look glowy. (laughs) Believe me, when I was at Axis, I cried off my makeup all the time. I mean, these poor makeup artists, they would just be like, really? You're going to cry off your makeup again?
0: (laughs) 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 Do you feel like Wordiful? Because you, like you say, like words are powerful. Words have meaning. Creating this, going from just a side project to like creating a real, true, full company of Wordiful. Do you feel like that's also been a way to be able to heal and use wordful to be able to Maria Shriver said, turn your pain into purpose and, and heal. And then also help others because a lot of stuff that you say, you focus on one word and sometimes it feels like one word, what would one word do? And sometimes it's just like hope or family, or sometimes it, it's not even any, like something that you wouldn't even think of, like put much thought into a particular word. How do you come up with those words to truly And then the, and evoke what you feel the meaning behind those words are, because it could be a word like house or home. And you just, you come up with these like really
1: thoughtful meanings behind them. Well, thank you. It's just the season I'm in, you know, it's like I said earlier, it's having to stop down and being self-aware and saying, okay, uh, there's this feeling of a pit in my stomach and it doesn't feel good because of these events going on going on in my life and i know again if i'm feeling this there's someone else who's feeling this and so i'll just jot down and make notes and it's so funny I actually went back today it was looking at an an old episode for intuition and it was still applicable to my life today it still resonated with me and it's like oh my god I have to listen to my own advice it's like sometimes we ignore the warning signs that our, our intuition is our greatest ally but because we are trying to micromanage our lives and we want things to I really want it to work this way and life is like no no trying to tell you you're going the wrong way so for instance like when that episode was born it was something I was really in I was trying to fit a circle in a square and I was really trying to make something happen that wasn't meant for me and I was just ignoring 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 my intuition even though I was starting to feel anxiety I was starting to feel upset for no reason I was getting moody because again I was resisting It's like the path of least resistance. I didn't want to go down that way. I wanted to go upstream. (laughs) And so that's how that episode was born of trusting my intuition, because anytime I've gone against it, life will always remind me, ah, yeah, see, this is why you listen. Or when I do listen to my intuition, life always reminds me, this is why. This is why. Yeah. (laughs) I know I do the same thing. Like I just
0: recently did a freelance project and I was super excited about the opportunity, but I was so stressed over it because I was like, what they want, it really takes months, not less than two weeks. Right. And then they're like, oh, welcome to our world. And it just made me think, is this really the world I want to be in? Right. If if I'm going to be this stressed for every project. So I'm like, you know what's supposed to be will be. And sometimes it's so hard, right? It's so hard to let go if you really, really want something.
1: Yeah, but that's the beauty, right? I really believe like what's meant for me won't miss me. I'm always gonna attract what's in my best interest if I'm if I believe that too. You know, that's the other part why it's so like why I'm such an advocate of self-love, self-care, and affirmations. To me, that's all tied together in 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 one. I have to affirm to myself that I believe that I deserve. A beautiful life, that I'm worthy, that I'm lovable, that I, uh, all, all the things that that negative self-talk tells us that we're not. Our negative self-talk tells us we have flaws and we're not lovable and we're not worthy of this. And that life belongs to somebody else, not me, because I've got these things going on. And once you're able to silence that voice and say, okay, like, no, we're all born deserving I have to also understand that when I let go and just allow, again, following the path of least resistance, what is meant for me will find me is, and again, it's as long as I work for it too. It's not just like a magical thing. If I lay in bed all day, it's the, the things aren't going to come. If yeah. I would say like no hard work goes unrewarded, as long as I'm living right, I'm living right by, by myself, uh, living right by I'm helping other people, because I feel like when you help other people, life helps you. AKA the universe, AKA God, AKA spirit, it's all reciprocated energy. So yeah.
0: (laughs) No, but it's so true because when we go against our intuition, it's always like that slap in the face, like, the, like the university like, I told you, I well, told they, you.
1: Yeah. Life will just read it. Well, it just redirects us and it teaches us. A, yeah. It's like, a, it's like a hard lesson. It's, it's like having a car, a brand new car. And then you trying to squeeze into this little small space and you, you, you scratch the side door and you're like, okay. And then the next day, you know, you get your car fixed and then you go back and you're like, I'm going to still try to squeeze in this little, and then you knock the mirror off and then you're like, okay, I got to take it back to get it fixed. (laughs) Then you get it fixed again. And then one more time, you try to squeeze in that little small space and then you scratch the rim. And you're like, you know what? Maybe I need to stop parking in the little small space. (laughs) And like, it's kind of the same thing.
0: So with Wordiful, you have, you do a lot of different things. You have events. You've just started getting back into some live events. You have Memberships, which I'm a member of Word of. Word. I know,
1: I love it. You're so, <laughs> sweet. And, I, and I hope you use it. I hope that like it's giving you the tools to help you on this journey because that's really what the membership was created for. It was taking everything that I use that grounds me, that keeps me focused, that keeps me realizing I need to listen to my intuition. I need to get back to the basics, whether that's gratitude journaling, meditation, making sure I'm feeding my brain good music, making sure that I'm taking time to journal and do some introspection, some self-awareness. That makes my life so much easier and drinking from good books. And it's like, man, if I could create a database where I'm just giving the community all these tools every single month so that they can better themselves with me, because it's a journey. We do it together. We do a motivation Monday where everyone sets their intentions and we make sure we hold each other accountable. To me, that's I don't know, I just get so much joy out of creating the content every month and being able to deliver it and to see people like yourself that are a part of it because it's like, okay, I'm not, not only am I able to share this, but I'm not doing it alone.
0: I think I don't use it as often as I should because I do notice a difference of when I do and when I let other things get in the way, right? Because it's a way of, I think I just need to put a reminder in my phone and have that time. Because when I do, when I journal, when I write my affirmations, when I tell myself, like when I w- when I tell myself good things, or when I focus, I notice a huge difference versus when I'm just letting life happen instead of like making life happen. I think that's the difference, like letting life happen versus making life happen. I think I, I feel it and I see it.
1: But I do want to ask you creating structure for self care is what yes, it is. yeah.
0: People probably look at you and they, you know, you have Wordiful and you have these tools and They probably look, oh my gosh, Liz doesn't have any problems. Oh, Liz doesn't have any of this. Oh, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. She's so smart. She has this business. Can you share about like what things that you have to do for yourself when you're feeling those times of just maybe not despair is not the word I want to use, but maybe when you're kind of in the pit
1: of things? Well, first, no one is exempt Nobody lives a perfect life, not Beyonce, not, you know, you name your favorite person. Well, I think we knew that once we saw that videotape (laughs) in the elevator. (laughs) But I'm just saying, you know, sometimes we have this fantasy that other people are just living much better lives than we are. And we all have our set curriculum. I believe when we come to this planet, we have our soul assignments and, you know, someone could say, oh, Liz has a great life. But I wonder the person who's saying that, do you have your mom? Because <laughs> I don't, you know, so there's just certain heartaches that we're going to face uh, that are different from other people. There's a great saying, like, if you could put all your problems in a bucket, and blindly switch it with somebody, or even look at what their problems are, you probably want to keep your bucket,
0: <laughs> right?
1: You know, so On those days where I do have deep despair, it is despair because there are those days. You know, I remember the week before I was losing my mom. It was that realization of, oh my God, the person who loves me the most is about to leave this planet. Like, who am I without her here? What space do I occupy without the person who loves me unconditionally? Because I don't think there's anybody else that loves me as deeply as a mother loves you. And so I went through this fear of abandonment and I was literally, I wanted to scratch the walls because I was so afraid and I was so, you know, and uh, you just feel like I don't, you know, usually when you run for comfort, you run to your mother's comfort. (laughs) And I just didn't, there was nothing that could fill that void. And so again, this is why those tools are so important. I had abandoned myself. I had to show up for myself. I had to mother myself. I had to say like, it's going to be okay. And of course, you know, my friends showed up for me in a beautiful way. My family showed up for me in a beautiful way, but really at the end of the day, wherever you go, there you are. And so unless I faced what it was that I was hurting from. And it was just realizing like, okay, even though she goes away, the love doesn't, I'm not truly a aban- her, her, that love doesn't abandon you. It actually now becomes part of her legacy and, and, and how you put it out into the world. So again, I don't think I would have learned that had I not buried myself in good books, had I not reached out to, to a mentor, had I not Been writing my affirmations. Had I not journaled, I was journaling every day to my mom and journaling, asking myself really important, uncomfortable questions and making sure that I was very delicate with myself from the music I was listening to to the things I watched on television, because all of that affects us. And so I think I just really, if I could say, like the one thing I would offer as advice when people are in that dark place or that place where they're hurting is self-compassion. You have to be really gentle and compassionate with yourself and to know that you're not alone. You're not the first person to go through it and you're not the last, but it's how are you going to show up for yourself? Because if you just sit there and ruminate on the negative false story, which is a lot of time, the one we're creating is no one's ever going to love me like my mom and da, 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 you know, or like, I'm going to be alone now forever, you know, whatever it is. Um, it's just a story we've created. And I just know that what, like I said, what is meant for me is meant for me. And my journey is, this is, this is part of my journey. I think
0: Sometimes it's hard for us to remember that, right? Like, this is part of my journey. What can I learn? It, and it sounds so cliche. Sometimes it's like, well, what can I learn from this? But in the moment, you don't have to learn anything in that moment. No,
1: you don't. And that's the thing. You can't be, that's, again, that's part of self-compassion. You can't be beating yourself up while you're in the emotion. Like if I would have been mean to myself while I was going through the feelings of abandonment, like, why aren't you over this? Or you knew this was coming or that's just being mean to myself. But I will say what helped me bounce back a lot faster, I'll never forget, one day I was like, I had turned the shower off and I just started sobbing. And it almost seemed, within like a couple of seconds, I just kind of woke up out of it. And I thought, oh my God, when I talk to myself in my head, I call myself Elizabeth. I'm like, Elizabeth, you're being so ridiculous. You are in good health. You have this beautiful home with your beautiful dog and you have amazing friends. And, and it's okay to grieve, it's okay to be sad. But my gratitude journaling helped me bounce back like that. All of a sudden it was like, like it all started downloading in my head all the things I had to be grateful for so that I didn't bathe in the self-loathing because we think it can be so easy to do that
0: oh my gosh it it really can I think I always say it's okay to stay in the pit for a minute but you can't live in the pit
1: well and that's what those tools are for so you can pull yourself out of it and you can know how because that's the thing I think I mean whatever tools you use you you need you need a self-care life jacket you need to know how to soothe yourself how to show yourself self-compassion how to comfort yourself That way, you know, I hear so many women say, oh, I'm so lonely. And again, when we have self-care tools, you can be alone and not be lonely.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. If people want, are are you still accepting members for Wordiful and everything? If people wanted to get that, how do people access those? They can go to community.wordiful.com. And then you have two levels of membership, right?
1: We do. So we have a monthly membership, which is the gratitude membership. And then the love membership, which is the yearly membership. And we're going to be introducing a new membership called the Level Up Membership, which is really exciting. Uh oh! Trying to take my money again, Liz. <laughs> well, this is really about doing mentorship for the people who, even like yourself, how you said, I don't have. Uh, I need to set a reminder on my phone, but you know, they're also trying to get to the, that next level of wanting to help themselves when it comes to self care, when it comes to career, when it comes to relationships, whether that be with you know, personal or professional, it's just, I'm trying to pay forward um, some of the lessons I've learned and how can I, how can I help and be a mentor? Because I've been really fortunate. and have had so many great mentors in my life.
0: That's, and that's so important, right? To have people who, cause it's great to have your, you know, your friends and friends who aren't always going to tell you what you're going to hear, what you want to hear, excuse me. But it's really great to have mentors who or not who it's just the way they say it's just so different, right? The
1: way that they come at, they have the wisdom and the understanding and they also have your best interest, which is nice. And so they're just giving you a different perspective and that's, Yeah. yeah.
0: So I know we're, I'm trying, I want to be mindful of your time, but I want to give you opportunity to share anything that maybe you wanted to share that I didn't ask.
1: No, you're actually a really great interview. Dude, I was going to like, Jessica, do you have a background in radio? <laughs> no, this this was a beautiful interview. And I so appreciate you, your energy, your thoughtful questions. And again, just allowing me to be a guest on Wine and Cheese Man.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, I want to make sure people know your social media as well. Um, Instagram, it's at Wartiful and at Liz Hernandez, correct? Correct. And go to her website, again, community.wartiful.com. Mm -hmm. So go, if you want some tools, they're really, really good. Um, And then she has like quarterly meetings for people.
1: We do a wordiful women's event. And for me, it's really important to have a safe space for women to gather and talk about issues that we're facing. A lot of times we'll have a special guest. I think last time we had um, sound healing, which was really great. We've done sound baths, we've done yoga, and then we have uh, bigger community events that are for everyone. And um, yeah, it's just an, an opportunity and a space to, to learn from other people. And a lot of times I'll invite my own mentors on. So it's it's a lot of fun. Yes.
0: Well, thank you, Liz. I appreciate you so much. I can't wait till mm-hmm. I get to actually see you again in person.
1: I know. I know.
0: Soon, <laughs> soon. I hope soon. <laughs> Until next time, mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme Podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, the wine and Podcast. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media, at the Wine and Chisme on Instagram, and at the Wine and Chisme podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more.